I tell you, I'm blessed, honored, and privileged to be here with you guys this morning. I am, you have no idea how many emotions are running inside of me. I, I, Bertie was uh, a young man when I first met him. His pastor called me up when he was in Potchefstroom and said, I have this young man, can you help him? And I'm going to send him to you. And so I said, yes. And so he sent me Bertie, and then the pastor never talked to me again. (laughs) (laughs) I am used to that. (laughs) And I spent, uh, I lived in South Africa for 18 years, and traveled all over Southern Central Africa holding uh, large open-air evangelistic gospel crusades, and then I moved back to the United States and started working with the underground church in Vietnam, and then uh, started going into Laos and and different places, and so this is kind of my first time back um, since I left in 1999. So it's nice to be back, because South Africa is very much a home to me. Um, the will of God, I always believe, is 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 your home. And uh, uh, but I have so many memories and so many wonderful experiences and so many friends, and it's just nice to be back. And I know South Africa has changed a whole lot since I left. But uh, the people are still the same. And uh, it's just really, really, really good to be back. I've, and, and one of my favorite places has always been the Cape. Um, if I'd stayed here, I would have moved here too. Uh, this place is just incredibly beautiful. Uh, some of you know I've, I'm buying a motorcycle. Um, three years ago, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to take a motorcycle mission trip from Cape Town to Cairo. And uh, like Philip, I am going to lead you and bring you across key people. And much of my ministry has always been that. God has brought me across key people that I have shared the love and the grace of God with who were very key in God's kingdom, such as Bertie um, and some other people. Um, I gave uh, Joseph Prince a book on grace in the 90s, (laughs) back when he was a law preacher. (laughs) He may not remember that, but that we found out later that was the book that opened his eyes opened his eyes to the grace of God. I, I preached for uh, some people in Durban many years ago, or East London, I can't remember, and uh, um, they were angry at what I preached. And they brought me in and grilled me. I felt like I was before the Pharisees. And they disagreed, they were angry, they didn't like what I preached. They, they said, the people have questions. Well, it wasn't the people, it was them. One of those guys was a guy named Rob Rufus. So, so God has brought me across a lot of very key people um, to impart grace to and teach them about the love of God. And, and sometimes I, I see that I'm the tip of the spear, you know. The tip of the spear is what causes all the problems first. You know, it sometimes creates pain and offense, and truth can offend. But the truth that offends you is usually the truth that will set you free the most. And so uh, I've oftentimes people have said, oh, you know, Ed Elliott, I don't agree with him, but Bertie, the way you preach it, that's great. <laughs> so I'm happy with that because it's all God's message. And sometimes to offend people is a good thing because it gets them to finally think. You know, religious people don't want to think. They want to let other people think for them. And so, but when you begin to think, and when they offended, they, they go, oh, I'm going to prove this man wrong. And they go into scripture and they realize, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe what he said was true, you know. <laughs> and so sometimes that is a good thing. But my intention is not to offend. My intention is 
to just bring the truth and minister and, 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 and love all folk. And, and uh, that's what I'm here for today. Now, when I lived in South Africa, because much of my ministry is, was, for most of my life, has always been preaching with an interpreter. I have a tendency to speak fast. And I know that when I'm in areas where people are, their first language is Afrikaans, I sometimes speak too fast. So here's the deal. If I am speaking too fast, and I'll try not to, but if I speak too fast, just raise your hand and I will slow down. <laughs> Is that okay? Because I, there's no sense in me coming and, and ministering if what I'm saying you're not going to understand. Fair? All right, so remember, and I'm not calling on you. I'm not thinking you have a question. I just know that you're giving me a signal. Slow it down. <laughs> Fair. All right. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to 1 John 4.19. And while you do that, I want to share with you. When I was in Africa as a missionary, many years as I was preaching um, and holding crusades and ministering, one day the Lord spoke to my heart and he said to me, he said, I want you to study about my love. And I have to be honest with you, I was not happy because I thought I understood the love of God. I, I had gone to Bible school. I was successful in the ministry. Our crusades were big crusades. You know, we were having wonderful success and we were having, seeing miracles and wonderful things happen. And so when the Lord spoke to me about studying about his love, I had a lot of negative emotions come up in my heart. Because when I was in, in elementary school in third grade, I failed third grade. Now, if, if you've ever failed a grade, you know how embarrassing, humiliating that can be because kids can be cruel and they can tease you. So all my friends were in fourth grade and I was left behind in third grade again and they would tease me and make fun of me and call me stupid and an idiot, all those kinds of things. And so when God spoke to me, and said, I want you to study about my love, those negative emotions kind of came back up. Because I thought, Lord, I know about your love. I know John 3, 16. I, have, I graduated from Bible school, Lord. You know, I know these things. And I was a little bit upset because all of my friends in the ministry, they were getting exciting subjects, the anointing and miracles and prosperity. And I got stuck with love. And so I said, okay, if you want me to study love, I'll study love. And so I went to my library, and like many ministers, I have hundreds and hundreds of books in my library, and some that I've actually read. <laughs> and I thought, let me see what other men of God have written on the subject of the love of God, and let me learn from them. And my first revelation was I, of hundreds and hundreds of books that I had, I only had four that talked about the love of God, and they were not on the subject itself, they just had a chapter or two in them about the love of God. And the reason that shocked me was because in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says this, abide faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these three is love. And I realized that spiritually, I was out of balance. 
I had majored on what God said to minor on, and I had minored on what God said to major on. Does that make sense to you? And so I had lots of books about faith. And I had lots of books about hope and vision, dreams. And I had nothing on love. And God said love's greater than faith and hope. And the reason love is greater than faith and hope is just for a second, think in the natural. When a couple falls in love and they declare their love one to another, what they're actually saying is, I trust you. I'm going to make myself open and vulnerable to you and I trust that you will not take advantage of me, you will not hurt me, you will not abuse me. So trust is just another word for faith. And so love gives birth to faith. And then that couple thinks about their future together, having a home and having children and, and, and what their future will be like. That's hope. And so love gives birth to hope. But Paul says the greatest of these three is love. Why? Because faith and hope can't produce love, but love can produce faith and hope. Does that make sense? I was in Swaziland one, many years ago when I lived here, and I was doing a crusade and a conference there, and it was early in the morning, and I had to fly back to Joburg, and it was like 7, 8 o'clock early in the morning. And... Uh, and, and now, for, if you're a farmer, 7 and 8 o'clock is not early in the morning. That's lunchtime. And so, but if you're an evangelist, 7 and 8 o'clock in the morning is very early. See, evangelists, we have hours like vampires. <laughs> the only difference is, is one sucks your blood, the other washes you in it. <laughs> so 7 and 8 o'clock is a very early for me. I'm up sometimes you know, two, three in the morning. So seven, eight o'clock is very early. So I'm taking this flight back to Joburg, short flight, I think it's only 20 minutes, and I'm sitting on the aisle seat, and there's a, a man sitting next to me, the window. And I don't recognize him, but apparently uh, after talking with him, uh, he, he was very famous. He was a very famous comedian. He was uh, on television shows, had DVDs and out, but he had been in Swaziland at one of the uh, hotels there, uh, at a businessman's convention to do his act. And, and I don't like, it's, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but I don't like to tell people that I'm a preacher. Because when people find out you're a preacher, they usually get an attack of what I call spiritual arthritis. <laughs> they get stiff and rigid, and, and you'll know it. When, it happens all the time when they find out you're a Christian. They start apologizing. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. Have I offended you? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. Which I find interesting because the Bible says that love is not easily offended. But apparently most Christians are. So, so we're talking and chatting, you know. And uh, he tells me who he is and then he can tell by my accent that, you know, I am not South Africa, South from South Africa. And so he asked me, what do I do? Well, I didn't want to lie and I told him I was a missionary, I was a man of God. And this was the fastest attack of spiritual arthritis I had ever seen in my life. <laughs> he got nervous because he had just ordered a beer <laughs> from the stewardess. And now he finds out he's sitting next to a preacher. And he was like sending Morse code messages with his eyelids to the stewardess. Don't send me the beer. 
There's a preacher here, and I think she thought he was having a fit and needed it quick. So she comes down the aisle, and she hands me the beer to give to him, and I just open it for him and hand it to him. And he looked at me real suspicious, and I know for a moment he thought I turned his beer into water. <laughs> now, I didn't say anything at all to him about drinking a beer at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. You know, that's being a pretty good sinner, if you ask me. <laughs> We've all been there, haven't we? My goodness, beer and pizza in the morning? Oh, it doesn't get any better than that. But I didn't say anything to him. Now, we all know Christians who would have said something. They would have pounced on the guy. They would have said, have you got a spirit of alcoholism? Why, I can cast the devil out of you. <laughs> we're, all, we're all thinking of somebody right now. I know. You got, I know. <laughs> and the guy would have needed six more beers to survive the flight with that type of Christian. That's not what I, you know, that wasn't what I said to him. And I... I began to minister to him about the love of God and how much God loved him and, and shared my own testimony and, and how valuable and precious and the price God paid for us, even though that, that we were sinners and even though that we were unworthy and even though you know, we, we were wicked, that God loved us in spite of ourselves and that God cared for us and had a purpose and a plan and, and wanted us to trust in his love. And I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this as long as I live. His eyes watered up and a tear rolled down his cheek. And he said to me, he said, I have met six born-again Christians in my lifetime. And you are the first one that ever told me God loved me. You see, one of the reasons why this message is so strong in my heart, I shouldn't have been the first one. He should have heard this before and before. You see... The flight was only 20 minutes, and he spoke half of that time. I didn't have time to teach him about faith and the principles of faith. I didn't have enough time to teach him about hope and how hope functions with faith. And I, All I had enough time is to help him understand that God loved him. And I knew that if he could grab hold of that, that would birth faith and hope in his heart. I never saw the man again. To this day, I've never seen the man again. But a friend of mine heard me tell the story and they knew who this comedian was. They knew who he was. And they were in a business meeting with him a number of years later. And after the meeting was over, he went up to him and he said, do you ever remember meeting an American preacher on a flight from Swaziland to Joburg? And he stopped him. He says, yes, I will never forget it as long as I live. That man changed my life. Well, it wasn't me. It was Jesus. See, I just had a short amount of time to help him understand how much God loved him and cared for him and had nothing to do with his past or his failures or his struggles or the issues that he, he was presently dealing with. That's not the issue. The issue is will you receive, believe, accept the love that God has, you, has for you right now, not the way you think you need to be. See, when Jesus told the story of the prodigal son, you know, the, the essence of that story is this, that God loves us at our very worst. He doesn't love us at our very best. Religion tries to tell you that. The problem is, is they keep raising the bar and you can never reach it. And so you get frustrated. But Jesus told the story 
to convey to us that God loves us at our very worst. At our very worst, God loves us and accepts us. But the beautiful thing about God's love, it doesn't leave us there. It does not leave us there. It lifts you up. It changes and transforms you. And it's an effortless change and transformation that happens when you just trust in the love that he has. 1 John 4.19, if you have opened there, is just a very short verse. It's a verse that oftentimes many people just read over and, and don't meditate on and think upon. But I, but I challenge you this week. You know, if you have to write this verse on a little card, keep it in your pocket and bring it out and just study it and meditate on it and allow the Holy Spirit to show you how incredibly powerful, how incredibly deep this verse really is. And, and by the end of the week, you will be so incredibly changed. The emotions in your heart will, will do, the, what, the dominant emotion in your heart will be the experience of knowing and trusting and walking in the reality of God's love. But it says this, it says, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. You know, John's telling us the reason you love God is because you came to a place where you believe that God loved you first. You know, religion, and you'll hear this, and most of us heard this sometime in our life. Well, you know what your problem is? You need to love God. That's not the gospel. That isn't the gospel. You need to love God. You that are married, you didn't start your relationship off that way. On the first date, you didn't tell the woman, you know what your problem is? You need to love me. <laughs> it would have been the last date. She would have married someone else and told that husband about the jerk you were. She will tell her, and she would tell friends, you won't believe. I went out with this one guy, and the first thing he said to me is, I need to love him. What happened to him? I don't know. <laughs> because you know why? Love doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Love, the Bible talks about as a fruit, and, 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 a, and a fruit, you know, develops. It develops over time. It, it has to be nurtured and cared for, but it develops. When I was in elementary school, as, and when you were this, I know this happened because people are people all over the world. I tell the story in Laos, it happened in Laos. I tell it in Vietnam, it happens in Vietnam. So it happens all over the world. Do you ever have somebody slip you a note? And you open the note, and it's from a girl. And it says, do you like me? <laughs> yes or no. And of course, we were so dumb. Instructions followed, circle one. <laughs> And so, you know, you would circle, well, well, if you circled yes and sent it back to her, that was the beginning of a relationship. Because her sending you the note was to let you know, I like you, but I want to know if you like me. And if you come into agreement, like always happens before love. Amen? See, when Jesus came, he came to show us that God liked us. Not only did he like us, he loved us, but his purpose in liking us first was to bring us to the reality of how much he loved us. But he wanted you to agree with the fact that he liked you and he wanted to be your friend. He wanted to be your friend. Jesus says this, he says, I lay my life down for my friends. 
But his friends at that time were all sinners. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. And every now and then you'll find a religious person who will argue with you and say, oh, Brother Ed, you know, uh, that was what the Pharisees said about Jesus, that he was a friend of sinners. And they also said that he was a glutton and an alcoholic. And we know Jesus was not a glutton or an alcoholic. So therefore, we know he wasn't a friend of sinners. Jesus would have had friends of sinners. And I say, okay, you make a good point. That is what the Pharisees saw. But it's interesting to notice that the Pharisees' perspective is that Jesus was their friend. I said, but here's a verse you have not considered. Jesus said, I lay my life down for my friends. And see, no one was born again until after the resurrection. So no one was righteous, no one was holy, no one was saved until after the resurrection. So the friends that he was speaking of were all sinners. And he looked at me and says, you've made your point. (laughs) See, if we don't understand that God likes us and that God sees us as a friend, you'll never reach the place of love in a relationship. Amen? We hear oftentimes, love at first sight. Most times it's not love at first sight, it's lust at first sight. Let's just be honest, all right? But in God's case, it really was love at first sight. When God saw you, he was in love with you. Matter of fact, let me say it this way. God loved you and committed to forgive you and live in harmony and union with you before you were ever born. Before you were ever born. Because all that we are experiencing today, the Bible calls, this plan was made before the foundation of the world. This was all set up before the foundation of the world. And so God committed to love you. But brother, you don't know, you don't know me, you don't know what I've done, you don't know my struggles, you don't know my failures, you don't know know the problems I've had. It doesn't matter because that's not the issue with God. Because God has already forgiven you, past, present, and future sin. That's not the issue with God. Paul says it in this way in 2 Corinthians 5.19. He says to it that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or holding their sins against them. So, you know, people often ask me, Ed, you know, you've seen miracles, you see blind eyes and the cripples walking, you've seen a lot of these things. You know, what is your secret? There is no secret. I don't have a, you know, I don't have a full-size Jesus in me and you have a G.I. Joe Jesus. We have the same Jesus. We have the same Holy Ghost. I don't have a secret other than that I know that if God isn't holding their sins against them, isn't imputing their sins against them, then there's nothing to block the best that God has for them. There's nothing there. There's nothing to prevent them from experiencing the very best that God has for them. So you can pray and minister with boldness and confidence to people who may not have that same boldness and confidence. But see, if you love them, it reinforces what you're telling them about God, that God loves them. Because see, if you tell them God loves them and you don't love them, you're sending them a mixed signal. But if you have the same God inside of you, why wouldn't you love them? Does that make sense? All right? So when we begin to see and understand the reality of God's love, but it, it first comes from experience for ourselves. You know, the scripture says we love him, God. Why? Because he loved us first. So the message of the gospel is to help people understand and communicate the love that God has for them 
It's not telling them they need to love God. They can't because they have no basis for it. They have to begin to see, experience, and accept the love that God has for them. And when they do and begin to experience it, that's why Paul says it's the goodness of God that brings a person to repentance. In Matthew 9, Jesus said essentially the same thing. He says, I'm going to use mercy to bring people, sinners to repentance. See, the religious world wants to use condemnation. They want to use the threat of judgment. You know, if you look in the book of Revelations, in the last days when judgment is handed out, no one repents. You know what you see? You see people shake their fist and curse God. And you see the same thing today when you threaten them with judgment. When you threaten them with judgment and the wrath of God, it doesn't bring them to a place of repentance. It makes them angry. See, Paul said it's the goodness and kindness of God that brings a person to repentance. Well, see, goodness and kindness is something a person not only just hears about, but experiences. And who do they experience it from? The body of Christ. Who's that? Us. Amen? Amen. So we love, now watch this, we love in the way we've been loved. Now watch how Jesus said it. Jesus said, I have loved you the way my Father has loved you. Uh, the way my Father has loved me. I, I, the way my Father has loved me, I have loved you. And I want you to go and love them the way I loved you. Now some, there are certain theologies out there that would argue, say God doesn't love everybody. You know, God doesn't, no argue about it, you know, only God loves the, the select or the elect, you know, only, God doesn't love everybody. Well, wait a second. Before God or Jesus gave us the great commission, he gave us the great commandment, which is about love. Why? Because that should be the motive for the great commission. If you don't know the love of God, you can't preach the great commission, because that's the motive. So the great commandment was given before the great commission. Make sense? And so when you experience and know for yourselves the love of God, now you are empowered and now you know how God loves other people because you've experienced it for yourself. And so we are told, from a love standpoint, we are told to love everybody. We're told to love our enemies. We're told to love those that persecute us. We're told to love people that hate us. I mean, go read Luke 6. I mean, we are told these are the people that we love. Then we are told, basically, to love everybody. So if God doesn't love everybody, why did he equip us and empower us to love everybody? Because if God doesn't love certain people, then I can't love certain people because I can only do it by his spirit. Does that make sense? Now, this doesn't mean everybody's going to receive it and experience it. We know better than that. People are going to reject the love of God. People are going to reject all kinds of things in life. But they do it out of ignorance. But the Bible says love's long-suffering. So, you know, and just think about our lives. You know, some folks didn't hear, get saved the very first time they heard the gospel. Some people heard the gospel for 20 years before it finally sunk in and made sense. That's called the long-suffering of God. <laughs> you know, Abraham, by the time God gave him the promise of Isaac, it took 25 years before Isaac came. Now, look at Abraham's life. Thank God God didn't give him the law, because he would have broke it. 
because he committed adultery with Hagar. He lied and committed fraud. And one time he sat and disobeyed God for over 20 years. But Paul says, here's an example of faith. He believed God. And because he believed God, he was credited with righteousness. See, people don't see it from that perspective. Matter of fact, if you he Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, which we refer to as the Hall of Fame of Faith, all right? It, if you really understand the context, Gideon was a coward. It was like God went and looked for people who were the biggest screw-ups. I mean, who couldn't get anything right. And God says, that person I'm going to make a friendship with. The Bible was written mostly by murderers. Moses killed an Egyptian. Look what he wrote. David killed Bathsheba's husband. Look what he wrote. Paul killed, almost wiped out the early church. That's why he called himself the worst of all sinners. Look what he wrote. Well, if God can use murderers to write his holy word, what's your excuse? I don't know about you, I'm preaching myself happy. I could lay hands on myself right now and go down. When I figure out how to catch myself, I'm going to do it. See, when we understand the reality of God's, word, God's love for us and how it changes us and impacts us and transforms us. And that's why I tell you, you know, I want you to meditate on the scripture. We love him, why? Because he loved us first. He loved us first. He loved us first. He loved us first. See, when I was a new baby Christian, you know, and most of the time when I preach these things, they're not really deep revelation. People begin to connect and say, you know, I heard this when I first got saved. This is what I felt when I first got saved. They, someone told them that God loved them just the way they were and they believed it. And then religion came along and tried to tell them, well, you know, now you've got to do this. And now that you're a Christian, this is what God expects of you. And, and now you've got to be responsible. And now you have to be obedient. And if you don't do this, God won't be happy. Wait a second. When I was just a no good, dirty, rotten, filthy scum-sucking sin sinner. He loved me. I didn't do anything to make him love me, but he loved me. And all of a sudden now, I got to work for this love? Yeah. See, a lot of you were like me. You experienced the love of God. It was incredible. Things were happening and changing in your life. People saw a difference in you. You know, you couldn't even explain it. You know, I remember I had... My, I, I was so happy at work. I had so much joy that my mouth hurt from smiling. Because obviously I didn't smile a lot before that time and those muscles never got a workout. And I was smiling and all my druggy friends, they thought I was on something. And they would say, hey, Ed, you, you on something? I said, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they said, you know, can we have some? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. You know, what's it cost? Free, free, you can have it, you know. You know? But, and I ended up getting a lot of them saved. But I remember one time I walked into the men's toilet, the men's bathroom, and I said, Lord, can you turn it down? Because my, I hurt. I was just smiling. And I hurt. I mean, I, I hurt. They, you know, muscles get sore that you haven't worked. That's how I felt. You know, I hurt. I said, Lord, turn it down a little bit. I, you know, I, 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 there's just, I felt like my heart was going to explode with joy. 
But like most of you, you know, I, somewhere I got with a group of people that tried to tell me that, you know, I had to do certain things to get God to love me and accept me. And remember that passage in the book of Revelations where Jesus said, and, and I heard this preach one time, where Jesus said, you know, I have seen your good works, but one thing I have against you is that you return to your first love. That's my best religious domini voice. <laughs> and so, you know, I felt, I thought, well, I, I don't feel the love of God like I did when I was first saved. And so I got scared and, and, you know, what have I done? Have I done something wrong? And I started asking people, you know, have I done something wrong? Have I made a mistake? You know, have I done something? And, and somebody would say, well, is there sin in your life? And I thought, well, there was sin in my life when he first loved me. It didn't seem to stop him. But... At that time, I was like, well, no, not that I'm, I'm aware of. But, you know, you, you, because you're in fear, you start confessing everything. I mean, you just start confessing. You just cover everything, you know, just in case. Just in case. You know, get the blood under everything. Get it all out there. Splash it, you know. Just cover everything. You know, there must be something I didn't confess. But nothing changed. And then somebody said, well, how, I, how much time are you spending in prayer? You must not be praying enough. And so I, you know, I'd pray. You know, praying. You know? Remember back in the day when they were teaching, you know, early will I seek thee. And everybody in churches were coming together at five in the morning to pray. Remember that? Some of you were around, you know? I'm telling you. The only people up at five in the morning are farmers. True. Five in the morning, I don't even know if I'm saved. I don't even know who I am. I got to look at my driver's license. I go to church and I saw people. It's the first time I ever saw somebody yawn in tongues. I remember you're praying. You're praying really hard and you think you're in the spirit. And you think, oh man, 45 minutes have gone by because you had to pray an hour at least. And you look at your watch and it's like five minutes. Now you understand why a day with the Lord is a thousand years. <laughs> it doesn't go fast. You know, I remember one time I was driving to church and the Lord spoke to me. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray. He says, why? I said, because all your leaders are telling us that's what we need to do. He said, go home and get some sleep. I'd rather talk to you when you're awake. <laughs> So I did, I turned around and went back home. And of course, you know, the early morning prayer, when you're not there, they heap guilt on you. We missed you. Where were you? And of course, if you ever sleep in and you miss it, you feel so guilty that religious devil comes and tells you two missionaries in China were killed because you didn't pray for them. (laughs) And the Lord spoke to me and said, son, I'd rather spend quality time with you than quantity. He said, I'd rather have you be in my presence if it's only for five minutes than, it, than trying to wait for parole. Because you remember when you pray like that, you know, you're always, ah, 20 more minutes. You're praying and ah, 10 more minutes. Well, can you imagine if you said to your wife, honey, I want to make our relationship really wonderful, more loving and more committed, and we're just going to spend an hour a day. We're just going to talk to one another and share our thoughts and ideas. And the whole time you're talking to her, you keep looking at your watch. 
She's eventually going to say, uh, are you late for something? Are you have somewhere to go? And you're going to say, no, no, I'm just I'm, I'm keeping to my commitment. And she's going to say, look, if you don't want to be here, don't be here. Make sense? But here's the beautiful thing about God. When you understand that, you begin to enjoy his presence. And before you know it, you'll spend hours in his presence. Matter of fact, it'll be harder to get out of his presence than it is to get into his presence. You remember back in the day, Christians would say, we're going to have a breakthrough. Can you imagine going to heaven and Michael, the archangel, is showing you around heaven, and then you see a pothole <laughs> in the streets of gold, and you're puzzled, and you go, Michael, what is this pothole? He just shakes his head, and he says, oh, it happened last night. He said, the Christians on earth, they had a breakthrough. We, we can't... <laughs> They do this all the time here. <laughs> they can come anytime they want. The gates are open, you know, but they break through, they dance around, they scream. We had a breakthrough, we had a breakthrough, and then they leave. <laughs> it's like the view they have is that, that God sees the Christians coming and he calls for Jesus. Jesus, hurry, angel, get, come here, lock the gates. The Christians are trying to get in. Come on, come on, you know, we'll keep them out. And like somehow, if we press and press in and press in, like we're going to wear God down. Like God just says, oh, I can't stand it anymore. They're so strong. Help me, Jesus. Come on, Jesus, help me. You know, where's the Holy Ghost? Oh, he's down on the, he's on the other side. Oh. See how silly all that is? And it's all perception that we have that, that really God doesn't want to abide. And see, Paul said, abide faith, hope, and love. And, and, and all that is is this. In the same way your physical body needs oxygen or air, water, and food, the sustenance of your spiritual life is one of faith, hope, and love. But the most important of the three is love because it'll produce faith and hope. Because Paul said, faith works by love. You can't communicate the gospel without bringing forth a great understanding of the love of God or the people that hear the message will have no faith to respond to God. Amen? So you want to create an existence and an atmosphere of faith, hope, and love. You want to walk in that because that affects other people. Have you ever walked into someone's house and you could tell that they, the husband and wife, had just spoken strong words? And, and you weren't there, but the atmosphere, there's the atmosphere is tense. And you think, ooh, something's going on here. Because what you don't realize, faith is carried by words, as fear and negativity is. And so if we live in an environment of faith, hope, and love, People that come into that environment are challenged and they're changed. And it's the environment that will cause phenomenal growth and reality for them. People come into my house all the time. It, when we lived in Rustenburg, when we lived in Johannesburg, and where we live in the States. I mean, a UPS guy, a FedEx guy, will come into my house and deliver a package. And he'll stand at the doorway. And we've had this happen so many times. And they'll just say, it feels so good in here. They sense the atmosphere of God's unconditional love Amen. and acceptance. 
there's an atmosphere. And you know, you can walk with that presence. You can walk in that atmosphere. And it will arrest another individual. They will just kind of know something's different about you. They won't even know it. But they'll, it'll rest, it'll get their attention. It'll connect to their heart. And it'll help you minister with, minister with confidence and boldness because you know how much, how loved you are. Amen. Amen? My message is real simple this morning. It's not real deep, you know. Basically, this was the message I shared with Bertie when Bertie came to me. I've realized that if I can help people see and understand the love of God, the character and nature of God, if they can just see it, they're pointed in the right direction. And all of a sudden, when they open the Bible, instead of feeling condemned, they'll feel love. And they'll see God's motive in writing the Bible. And they'll see what God intended for us all the time. See, Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. And the reality is this. We should say the same thing. When you see me, you see the Father. And the Bible says God is love. And so when you see me and experience me, you should be connected with the one who loves me. And I live out of the overflow of that. And see, when you can accept God's love and blessings and best that he has for you, even when you know you've messed up, then you're going to help other people come to the place. See, the prodigal son came home. The father ran out and hugged him and embraced him. And then he pushed away from the father. Now, some people say, well, he repented. No, he never repented. When he said, I'm not worthy, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against the God we believe in, that was an excuse for his father not to love him. That's, that, his confession of sin wasn't a repentance. It was telling the father, you can't love me because I've screwed up, I've messed up. I'm, I don't deserve to be loved. And how did the father respond? Hugging him and embracing him again. And then brought him into the house and threw a party and a celebration for him. Who do you think was the most unhappy? The other brother? No. The fatted calf. <laughs> I admire your boldness, but I needed somebody to hook with that. Okay. <laughs> it was the fatted calf that wasn't happy that he came home. Now, the second one, the critical other brother was. See, if we don't understand the heart of the father, and both those boys were backslid. Both of them didn't know their father. The prodigal didn't know how good and loving his father was. And the critical other brother said to his father, he said, you know, he tried to bring up all the sins of his brother as an excuse of why you shouldn't bless him. And then when that didn't work, he said, you're unfair. You know, you've never treated me. You wouldn't even give me a goat to have a barbecue with my friends. Blah, 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 blah. And watch, he said, and I kept all of your laws and I kept all your commandments. And see, a lot of Christians, that's their mentality. They believe they've kept the laws and the commandments and therefore they deserve to be blessed. Well, you're not blessed because you kept the laws and the commandments. You're blessed because Jesus kept them for you. Amen. 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 And so both of them didn't know their father. And the prodigal, he was just, okay, if, if, you, if you can accept the fact that I've messed up and I wasted your inheritance and I, I sinned and lived with prostitutes and did all these horrible things, if you can love me after knowing that, I can accept that. And, he, and, and that love brought him in and a robe of righteous ring on his finger restored everything that he lost. And you know what? There's no sequel to that story. See, people that criticize grace will say, oh, it's a license to sin. People have been sinning long enough without a license. 
You don't need a, your learner's permit. They say it's a license to sin, but you know there's no sequel to that story. We don't see a later story where the prodigal left again. No, the love of God brought him home. The love of God kept him home. And the love of God kept him in relationship with his father. But the, but the legalist, the law brother, he didn't come and enjoy the party. There are going to be people in your life that are going to resent the party you live with God. Because when you understand the love of God, you're living in a party. You're having a party. You're full of joy. You're celebrating. You're happy. You're living in a party. And there are people that don't like it, don't like the fact that you're living in a party. Now, they can come and, and, and experience the party for themselves. But sometimes their heart won't allow them. Amen? Amen. Has this helped you this morning? Amen. Helped you a little bit? Amen. I, I, it's helped me. I'm glad I came. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm preaching myself happy. I, I needed to hear this. I tell you, I'll tell you the truth. I, you know, a lot of times, I'm, I, whether anybody shows up or not, I can preach to myself. <laughs> Preachers need it. You know, we need to hear this often. Amen? I've had a wonderful time. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, everybody in the building here? I don't know everybody here, and uh, every, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you are here this morning and you've not taken the, the time and the experience to trust and believe on Jesus as your own Lord and Savior, your best friend and your lover, if you haven't done that, if I flew all the way from America just for, just for one person, just for one person, that's the crazy kind of stuff God does to get people's attention. And God would say, okay, I'm going to send this crazy American to Cape Town just to speak to somebody that I know he'll connect with and help them understand how much God loves them. If you've not been born again, you haven't had that kind of experience, you haven't experienced the love that we're talking about, we've experienced through salvation. If that hasn't happened to you, it would be my greatest honor, my greatest privilege, the biggest thrill I could ever have to pray with you this morning and to pray with you so you could know and trust and experience the same love that God has for all of us, but experience it personally, individually, by faith. If, if that's you. If you've not been saved, if you're not a child of God, would you slip up your hand so I could pray with you? Anybody, anywhere, just hold up your hand so I could pray with you. Amen, amen, amen. All right, it looks like we're all the family of God here. That's a good thing. Praise God. All right, you can open your eyes.